as we're wrapping up a series about navigating life as we've been studying the wisdom literature. And uh, today we're going to talk about friendship. And I told Marlena that I was giving this message, and she said, why, you don't really have any friends, which uh, is, is not true. Uh, it's just all my friends are in middle school and high school, and uh, they're busy. They have band camp and, you know, stuff. So, uh, but, but, I mean, to a point, she, she's, she, has a, she has a point, because if, if I define friends the way that I did in high school, then no, I don't really have a ton of friends. Because when we were younger, it seemed like we had all the time in the world, time, time to talk, time to hang out, time to chill. And now, like, I don't really have that time because, you know, we're all busy, right? We have life and work and house and kids and all of that stuff. And, you know, two weeks ago, I asked a, a friend of mine, one of our, our staff members, and if he and his family wanted to come over for dinner and he's like, yeah, but it's going to have to be in August because we have so much going on until then. And, and that's crazy, right? But that's the reality of so many of our lives. We have, two, you know, we have one or two jobs. You have a, you have a yard to, and to take care of, meetings to attend. You've got groceries to buy. You've got Netflix to watch, coffee to make, meals to cook, workouts to do, houses to clean, emails to respond to, kids to raise, extracurricular and activities and band and sports, and homework to help with, and Facebook to scroll through, and news to watch, church to attend, small group, chair time. And after all of that, like, you, you barely have time for sleep or even a quiet moment in the bathroom to check Instagram, right? And it's like, no, I don't have time to chill out. Like, what, what do you mean can I get coffee? I don't know. Did you ask my assistant? Like, I don't, like, I don't have that kind of time anymore, and maybe that's just my reality, but I think for a lot of us, we're really too busy. We're just too busy, and that's one of the reasons I don't cultivate close friendships. But busyness, I'm learning, will steal the joy from your life. It's when we put tasks and achievement over relationships, and it could be friendships, it could be a lot of different things, because like upstairs right now, there's, there's 40 to 50 middle school students in our warehouse, and I'll be honest, it's very difficult for me to find people who love Jesus and who care about students who are willing to step away from their busyness and minister to these kids and pour into their lives, and it's heartbreaking because I know, like, yes, those students need adults in their lives, but also we need them because we grow from ministering to other people, from serving to other people. And, and it's, it's frustrating for us. It's, it's frustrating for me as a leader. And, you know, is that your reality? Are you so busy? Do you, do you ever see pictures on social media of people uh, enjoying time together with friends and you realize like, okay, I'm part of a family, I'm part of a church or a club or a business, but I'm bankrupt when it comes to, to friendships, and you would have to say, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I've got a lot of people that I know, but I'm just, I'm lonely. I've felt that. I mean, I still do sometimes. God has wired us to be in relationships, so if we don't prioritize them, we're going to suffer emotionally, relationally, spiritually, and even physically. Yeah, physically, because WebMD says this, that loneliness is as harmful to your health as alcoholism, obesity, and heavy smoking. It can have a serious toll on your life. And so, once again, I'm giving a message that has ministered to me as I've prepared to share it with you. And I've learned some things. I've learned that if I don't make time for other people, God will make time for me. 
Monday, Charles and I, Pastor Charles and I went to Cleveland to go visit a friend who's in the hospital, and we ended up seeing this friend for about 15 minutes, but the entire trip took over five hours. Well, there was a Chick-fil-A, okay, <clears throat> and he wasn't there when we got there, and then there was traffic, and, you know, there was a detour, and then I had to stop and get gas, and there was an accident, and all this stuff, and, and then after the end of it, we, like, spent over five hours together, and I just, I guess God just knew that Charles needed that in his life, was just <laughs> some time with me, right? But, but for me, it's easy to think, like, oh, man, what a waste. Like, we could have gotten so much work done, you know? But the reality is, is, like, that relationship is so much more important than other things on my to-do list that I could accomplish that day. And, and I will, like, always remember that trip, but I probably won't remember the emails that I would have responded to if I was just in the office. So, so friends are good and important and worth making time for. Not finding time, because you'll never find time. We have to make time. I've learned that the busyness of life will consume our time if we're just looking for it. And the bottom line, what I want you to walk away from with this today, what I want you to remember is that friendships will highly influence the direction and the quality of your life. Friends can help you to celebrate good times. They can help support you through difficult times. Friends prevent loneliness and give you a chance to offer needed companionship as well. It goes both ways. Friends can also increase your sense of belonging and purpose. They can boost your happiness and reduce your stress. They can improve your self-confidence and self-worth. They can help you cope with traumas such as divorce, serious illness, job loss, or the death of a loved one. They can encourage you to change or avoid unhealthy lifestyles, unhealthy lifestyle habits such as excessive drinking or lack of exercise. And so again, friendships will highly influence the direction and the quality of your life. Well, to get started, what is a friendship? How would we define that? Well, a friendship is a relationship, and it's characterized by enjoyment. These are people that you look forward to, forward to seeing. And it doesn't matter what you're doing with that person. You could be playing a round of golf, or you could just be sitting there just talking or doing nothing in particular, and it seems like time just flies by. You enjoy being with those people. You feel refreshed after you spend time with them. Friendship is also characterized by acceptance, that you can just be yourself and you can be open and honest and, and whatever, and you know that they're not going to reject you or push you away. And acceptance is the glue of that relationship because God wired us for acceptance. He wants, we're drawn to acceptance. That's, that's what we need. That's something that we crave. And lastly, friendship is characterized by genuine concern. And this is where I think some friendships break down. It's when you care for them and they care for you because we all have fair weather friends, or we've all been fair weather friends. You know that friend that, you know, okay, so it goes like this. You're, you're on Facebook, and you get a message from a friend you had in high school, haven't talked to him in 10 years, and they're like, hey, I just wanted to check in. How are you doing? And you're like, okay, this is kind of weird. And you're like, I'm doing fine. What's up? And they're like, I've got this great business opportunity that I wanted to tell you about. And next thing you know, you're selling leggings. And it's just like, they didn't want... They didn't really care, right? They just wanted something. You, you have that friend who only shows up when, like, they need something, right? And they'll act concerned, but, but really what they are is just an acquaintance. These are, you know, th these, are, these are the fair-weather friends. These are the friendships that we're only in for us, or they're only in for them. They're, they're, it's like we're friends as long as you accept me and I accept you and you don't get weird or ask me to help you move or watch your kids or something like that. Like those are the friendships that we have. But that's not really a friendship. 
That's not a relationship. That's a transaction. That's like a business deal. It's I do my part, you do your part, and everything will be okay. A true friend, as the philosopher Aristotle said, is in poverty and other misfortunes of life, true friends are a sure refuge. They keep the young out of mischief. They comfort and aid the old in their weakness, and they incite those in the prime of their life to noble deeds. That's the type of friendship that we are wired for. That is in our DNA. It's how God has created us. We were never meant to go through this life alone. And so I want to explore just a small passage of Scripture out of the many that talk about friendships with you today, and just to unpack it a little bit. And so if you've got your Bible or, or you're going to read from the Bible app, it's going to be in a, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 12, and we'll also have those on the screen for you. So it says this. The writer says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. There's so much in this. We could do a series alone about just this passage, but there's some key thoughts that I have here. Two are better than one, which means that we were not created to live in isolation. It's not good for, for us to be alone. And in the creation story, God's creating and he says that, okay, everything he creates, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. And he creates man and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And you know, if you leave men alone, like that's not good, right? That's why you have man and you have, whoa, man. All right, calm down, right? It's not good for us to be alone. We were not made to go through life alone. It's better to journey life, to navigate life with other people. Why? Well, the writer tells us of a few things, and I want to point out four of those today. Four benefits of genuine community, genuine friendship. The first one is productivity or success. That two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. We're going to have a larger profit. It's, it's two people working together often produce more than the, than the sum of their individual parts, meaning that two people working together may not produce twice as much. There's a synergistic effect. They may produce three times, four times, five times, ten times as much as they would working alone separately. Um, not only that, but it's more fulfilling and enjoyable to share the rewards of hard work with, with another person. We were in Mexico two weeks ago for our short-term mission, and, uh, you know, it was kind of almost humorous how everybody was talking about how hot it was over the past couple days. And it was hot, but where we go in Mexico, it's, uh, it's about seven miles from uh, the, the sun. It's so hot where we're going, and you're outside all day, full sun, there's no shade, and it's just humid, and we're, we're digging, okay? I'm just, like, moving dirt for two days, and I love to move dirt. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because it matches my intelligence level or what it is, 
but I just love moving dirt. And so I'm digging dirt all day, just sweating. And my neighbor who went with us, her name is Lois, she's digging dirt alongside of me. And we're just digging dirt, moving dirt for hours and hours. And you know what? But it was more than that because we were sharing life. You know, I was learning about her and we were talking about me and we were making fun of the other team members and we were just like sharing life together. And it was enjoyable to be able to do that and to stand back over the course of a day and look at the amount of work that we were able to do, not just her and I, but as a team, it was incredible to share that. It was awesome. There was success. There was better profit. There was, we got more work done together. You've heard the saying that two heads are better than one and it's so true. True friends also want each other to succeed. They're not jealous when somebody, when the other friend succeeds. They rejoice in another's success and actually want to help their other friend succeed. This is good in business. It's good in work. It's good in sports. It's good to have more than one player, more than one worker. But I think the challenge is, is getting them to work together. The second one that we're going to have is stability or support. It says, if one person falls, the other can reach out for help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. That two people can help each other in a time of difficulty. If one person falls, the other can help them back up, both metaphorically and physically. If one of them falls in any way as into mistakes or errors or sins or dangers or distress, that, there's somebody there that can help them. And I think one of the most important parts of Christian friendship, Christian relationships, and, and even though it's not comfortable but it's necessary, is accountability. Uh, having a friend that will, that will tell you what you need to hear instead of just always pandering to your emotions and applauding you and, and, and uh, flattering you. Right? I've got some friends in my life that, that I have the, the opportunity to work with, Pastor Charles and Jeremy and Pastor Eric, Pastor Todd, Ken Rawson and, and Tim Smelser. And these are guys who, if they see me messing up, not only do they have the right to say something to me, but I would say that they have the obligation to say something to me. Because if they genuinely love me and care about me, and they see me heading towards something that is going to cause damage in my life to somebody else or to myself, something that is, that is outside of God's word and outside of God's purpose for my life, I would hope that they would, ha that they would have the courage to come alongside and tell me what I need to hear instead of what I want to hear. Right? We all need that, but it's so difficult because it's uncomfortable. And in the same way, I know that I have enough relationship built up with them that if I see them doing something, I have the obligation as well to say, you know, what, what's going on here? The other thing that we'll find is that friends are there to help us in times of need. Right? If, if you're here and you, have a, and you don't have a friend that has a truck, like, I don't know how you get by. Right? And if you don't, like, if you don't, have any friends? Just get a truck. You'll have a lot of friends. It's, yeah. You'll help them move, but you'll have a lot. Because what's the point? What's the point of having much if you don't have anyone to share with? Do you know anybody who's a borderline hoarder? And I don't want to minimize genuine hoarding, which can be a symptom of something much, much deeper. But I'm talking about people in your life who have so much, and they make sure that it stays that way, right? Sure, they'll let you borrow your hedge, their hedge trimmer, but you're going to have to sign it out and fill out a waiver, and don't tamper with the GPS unit on it or whatever, and they need it back in two hours, right? You know those people who, you know, they want to hold on to everything that they have. They're the people who have everything but don't have anyone. They don't have anyone to share it with or a desire to share it with other people. Now, I want you to think of those same people, and maybe they're you, 
and ask yourself honestly, do they really seem happy? Do they really seem to have joy in their life? Because I admire the joy of those who hold their possessions with open hands. Those who see the material resources that God has given them as a way to bless other people and not something to keep to themselves. Those are the friends that I admire, friends who help us in times of need. We need others who have our back. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in a time of need. We need that friend who is closer to us than a brother who will always have our back. The third benefit that we see is, is intimacy or solidarity. It says, likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? And I think that oftentimes this is seen as like in non-platonic relationships, like a husband-wife, something like that. But, but it's probably speaking of the travel that took place on the dangerous roads in the ancient world where, uh, you know, people would huddle up together. And now I know what you're thinking, like, okay, hold on, Joe. Like, one thing you'll never hear on a guy's, like, camping or fishing trip is, hey, Vince, it's kind of chilly. Why don't you grab that blanket and come over and snuggle with me for a bit? Right? It's not going to happen. I, this, one time, this happened with me one time. Uh, I went on a short-term mission with our middle school guy, Ken, and some middle schoolers. And uh, I packed a blanket and a pillow because I'm like, surely there's going to be a couch or a bench or a church pew that I'm going to be able to sleep on. No, there was a tile floor, okay? And, uh, well, Ken Rawson, who's brighter than I am, he brought uh, an air mattress, and he's like, Joe, just share the air mattress with me. It's a full-size air mattress, but Ken is a full-size man. He's a, like, I don't know how to say it. He's, like, full-figured. He's a big guy, okay? He's just, he's, and anyway, I'm like, no. Like, no, like, we're not going to fit. Like, we're going to be touching. That's weird. So I'm like, I'm fine. This is a true story. So I'm on the ground on the tile floor in my, pillow and my blanket that's so thin, it's like the first two-dimensional object. It's like a Kleenex. And I wake up at three in the morning, and I'm in so much pain from this floor, and I am freezing, okay? And I'm just like, oh, man. So I pick up my blanket and my pillow, and I go over, and I lay in the air mattress, and I can hear Ken laughing because <laughs> he knew that he was right. But I wasn't cold anymore, and I wasn't in pain. And then when he got up in the morning, I went, okay. <laughs> Weirdest story I've ever shared here, okay? Let's, let's just forget that. Let's move on. Okay. So in the ancient world, when you traveled from place to place, you would sleep out in the open, and people would huddle together under a cloak or a blanket to keep warm. And, you know, maybe, maybe you're not comfortable with the thought of, like, sharing a blanket with another person out in the open or whatever, and that's okay, but I think you can picture what he's talking about here, that two people can comfort one another in a time of need, whether it's physically or emotionally. I mean, all of us have been through something where something difficult in our lives, where you didn't need a counselor, you didn't need somebody to give you advice, you just needed a friend just to be there. And that's what friends can buy or can bring. The next one is security or safety. A person, can st a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. So finally, we have greater protection. Because when you're alone, you're vulnerable. 
When you're in community, you have greater protection. Billy Graham, the famous preacher, would never allow himself to be alone in private with a member of the opposite sex, which is just smart. And I've adopted that in my own life as well, too. And it's not that I don't trust me or trust the other person, but I just know that if you know something were to be misunderstood or, or misinterpreted and that person said something or accused you and like, who do you have to fall back on other than your own word? Or it's not even that. It's like, what if, you know, you're seen together and people who don't know you, don't know the context of that relationship, you know, can look at it and maybe make some assumptions. And so it's good to never be alone in those situations, to put yourself in a compromising position. When you're together as a group, you're stronger. There's safety of that, in that. And now I think that many of us want this type of relationship in our lives. We believe that genuine community is better than singular, than solitary success or even popularity. It's better than having relationships that are a mile wide and an inch deep. But many of us struggle to actually have friendships like this. And sure, we're busy, right? If you came in the atrium this morning, you said, hey, how you doing? Good. What you been up to? What's a, what does somebody always say? I'm busy. So busy, right? Work, family, house, kids, all of that stuff. We're so busy. But also, and maybe you can relate to what one person said, I was willing to trust Christ, but I was not ready to trust the body of Christ. And the body of Christ is a churchy word, and it just means the community of Christians, the community of believers, that sure, you trusted Christ, but you were hurt in the past by a Christian friend. You were hurt in the past by a friend. And, and now you're protecting yourself from ever letting that happen again. And so... Our friendships, yes, they're inherently weak and they're inherently sinful. And, and our, our friends, we can't change them. And their words and their actions will affect you in hurtful and harmful way. And, and you can't control them. But unfortunately, we do the same things. We are sinful. And our words and our actions have and will hurt other people, including our friends. But when sin in a friendship splashes up in your face... What do, you, what do you do? How will you respond? Will you compound the trouble by responding sinfully and potentially just bailing out on the relationship? Or will you take advantage as Christians of the grace that Christ offered, offers to you and to that person and choose a better way? Friendships get tough because those involved ask themselves, what's best for me? What can I get out of this? Instead of asking when difficulty arises, what is best for this person and what is God doing in and through us? One of my prayers every morning is that God, not that you would take away all of my struggles, but teach, just show me what are you doing in these struggles? What are you doing to change me as a person? Because I think we often just want God to fix everything, and he doesn't. Instead of saying, God, there's going to be difficulty even in friendships, so what are you trying to do through me? What are you trying to produce in me? It's asking in this conflict or hurt in a relationship, in a friendship, what is God doing to draw us closer to the other person and closer to him through Christ? We have to fight against the self-centeredness of sin that will inevitably subvert God's design for our friendships. And only in the gospel is there a context for a real friendship because Jesus as our true friend sets us free to serve others rather than just to use them. When Jesus is at the center of our friendship, everything changes. In, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's written, 
A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I think this is practical as a strength in numbers that three are better than two. But also, could it also be that when there's two of you with Jesus in the center, that three that three-stranded cord is not easily broken at all when Jesus is at the center. Pastor Tim Keller says this. He says, true friends let you all the way in and they never let you down. Why do we refuse to let people all the way in? Either because of fear or because of pride. Why do you let people down? For the exact same reason, fear or pride. But the gospel, which is the truth that you are worse than you think, and more love that you can ever hope at the same time because Jesus lived and died in your place. That is the only real way to deal with fear and our pride and our friendships. When things get tough, our natural response is to move away from that friend. And in doing so, we walk away from one of God's principal means of provisions in our life. I have learned that when I pray for things, I often just expect to like fall out of the sky or something. But what I've learned is that God often, if not more often than not, will work through a friend in the body of Christ, in the church, to provide an answer to that prayer. That's a sign of genuine community. That is church. And I don't want us to think that church is just this. Coming here on a Sunday, sitting in these chairs, keeping them warm for an hour, and then leaving. Church is community. That's why we do things like the chapel barbecue on Tuesday. And I hope you'll be there. Charles and I are going to burn some hot dogs. It's going to be great. And you can get to know another person. And you can take a step out of your comfort zone. Church is community. It's loving. It's costly love. One of my, one of my good friends... I want to talk about two friends. One of them, and a lot of you know him, is a guy who is, is all about costly love. His, it's Todd Enderley, and a lot of you know him. And Todd is a great friend of mine. He, you know, last year we went to Mix Camp, which is a, a camp for middle school students. And it's a week long. And uh, I don't know if you've ever spent a week in a dorm with middle school boys, but uh, it stinks. And it's like... It's emotionally draining, and I'm, like, tired. It's physically draining or whatever. And during this stay, um, we found out, because we were moving houses at the time, my family and I, that we had to do some work to our house, and it had to be done by Monday. And I got back on Friday, and one of those was, like, spraying insulation into our attic. And uh, so, like, Todd overheard me, and it's like, hey, you know, I can help you with that Saturday morning if you want to do it. I'm like, man, we just, like, spent a week doing all this work. And we got back on Friday, and Saturday morning, like, I had to spray insulation, and I'll tell you what, if you ever get a chance to spray insulation in your attic, don't. It is the worst, okay? But Todd was there helping me right alongside of me doing that after he'd spent a week at camp. And then this year, he went with us to Mexico for eight days. He came back. He had one day to recover, and then he went to mixed camp again this year, another week with middle schoolers. He's upstairs right now serving our middle schoolers. He's the type of guy that understands that to build relationships, to build friendships, whether it's with his peers or with students, it's going to cost something. And Todd's one of those guys that I have never heard him say, I'm too busy to help you out with that. 
And so Todd has poured into my life. And I have another friend, and it's a lady, and she, she, she struggles through some things that I've struggled through, and I struggle through some, some stuff that she struggled through. And, you know, I, I try to minister to her, and I listen to her, and we, we meet up, and we talk, and we talk on the phone, and, and I've hopefully been able to pour into her life. But in that, she's become a friend of mine and of my family. And I genuinely enjoy spending time with this person and being able to pour into her life. And so I've received from people and I've been able to give to other people. That's incredible. And we can start taking, we can move towards that. We can start taking relational risks and beginning just to build strong connections with others right here in this room. But it begins with committing. It begins with committing to attending more than just a church service. If this is it for you just Sunday morning, you'll never develop those friendships. It means connecting with Jesus daily and allowing him to create in you the type of character that is needed to build those kind of relationships. It means getting plugged into a small group. It means it means serving other people because we were built for relationships like that in which we can drop the mask and find the community that we need, but we've got to take a risk. And so you've got to choose your goals and you've got to choose them carefully because you could have the goal of becoming a successful person who achieves a lot and you can do it in complete, in complete solitary, solitary, just alone. You know, if you're a student here, you could achieve to be the most popular person and you can know a lot of people, but again, it could be a mile wide and an inch deep. And at the same time you achieve all these, you neglect genuine community. And so here's what I want you to do this week. I'm gonna ask you some questions and these questions are in your bulletin. And if you didn't grab one, you can grab one on your way out this morning, but they're right there for you. And so, so this is what I want you to do. I want you to pick one friendship and honestly and humbly examine it with these questions. And as you do, remember that Jesus has already taken care of your sin and their sin in this relationship and invites you to experience a better friendship as you trust in him. And so do you have someone in your life who's helping you to be more productive spiritually, somebody who's challenging you and encouraging you to grow in your relationship with Christ? Do you have a friend who knows you're, when you're down, who will notice when you're in trouble and who will pick you up when you fall? Do you know what it's like to find comfort in the friendships that you have with other believers? Do you have the protection that comes from being in this together rather than going it alone? If no, then maybe it's time. Maybe it's time to take a risk. Maybe you come to the picnic and try to meet a friend. Maybe it's time for you to join a small group or to serve somewhere. If you answered yes, then how can you better serve your friend this week? What are their specific needs that you can meet? How can you humbly depend on your friend for more? What areas of weakness do you need to, to ask for help with? Instead of saying, no, I can handle it. I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to do it on my own. Where can you be vulnerable enough to say to that friend, I need your help? And lastly, what happens when your friend points out a flaw? Do you respond self-righteously or with humble confession? When somebody points out something to you, do you minimize it? Do you explain it? Do you justify, defend? Do you push the blame onto something else? Or do you respond humbly saying, you know what, even if I don't believe, even if I disagree with you, that's obviously how you're experiencing me, so what do I need to do to change in order to show that that friendship is more important than us being right? Because ultimately, friendships will highly influence the direction and the quality of your life. Let me pray for us. God, 
thank you for your friendship. Jesus, you have said that we are no longer your servants, but you call us your friends and that whoever obeys your commands is your friend. And God, it's incredible to think that the creator of the universe, God, our God, our Lord, our Savior is also our friend. It's incredible to think about that. And God, because you have been a friend to us and you have offered us grace, we can do the same thing for others. God, I pray for those who don't have these relationships, that you would bring people in their life that they can trust and build community with. And God, for those that do have those friendships, I pray that you would push them this week, God, into serving that friendship, that other person. God, thank you so much that you have put us in a community of believers. And though it's messy and it's difficult at times, God, it is beautiful when we trust in you and when we enter into those relationships with humility. In Jesus' name, amen.